Welcome back to another episode of Everybody's Got a Podcast, episode number five. <sighs> number five. Is it a hard one to get to? No. Is it a milestone? Also no. So let's get into the episode. Now, as always, I do like to start the episode with a bit of trivia. So today's trivia is going to be something possibly a little bit easier. And of course, as always, without Googling, I would like you to do this. Um, so today's trivia is going to be a bit geography related. And it's just simply going to be, what is the capital of Chile? Hopefully that'll be easy enough. Don't Google it. Just listen to the episode. Relax, sit back, and enjoy. Today's episode is going to be about classroom management and dealing with difficult situations in the classroom. Uh, it is a situation that I think a lot of people come across, and I think a lot of people think they know how to do it, and there's no perfect answer for every situation, of course. Every classroom, every student is going to be different. And not only that, but, I mean, you could have a group of students who are good on, let's say, Tuesday, but, you know, maybe Thursday comes around and, you know, it's a bit rainy outside or it's a bit snowy and someone slipped and fell and the whole mood just kind of changes. So, you know, it there's no good answer for every situation. It's something that you have to have a lot of tools um, so that whenever you come across a situation, you feel like you know how to deal with it. Okay, so uh, the first thing I do want to get into is going to be difficult questions because I find that's where a lot of teachers do get stumped up on because they feel like they should know everything and they hope they know everything. But truth be told, nobody really does know everything, you know, unless you've been in the business for 30 years and you've been studying this your whole life, um, you're never really going to know everything. So don't pretend like you do, right? Pretending like you do is, it's going to put up a weak facade. And I think students will see through it very quickly, you know? Like, if you put up this aura of always knowing everything, then the moment that you falter, your students are going to be like, well, hey, 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 wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> um, they're going to be like, wait a second, you know, like, I thought this person knew everything. They give off such a confident aura that, you know, hey, they don't know this. What else do they might not know? And you can't really do that. You know, you kind of have to leave it open and say, hey, I don't know everything. And that's okay. You know, I'm just a human as well. I'm doing my best. I'm a person trying to make money to feed myself, to pay my rent, and enjoy life a bit. You know, when I go home, I play video games. When I wake up in the morning, I drink coffee and eat a croissant, just like a croissant, <laughs> just like uh, many people do. So, you know, the difficult questions are always going to be, well, a difficult question. So, now the biggest one that comes around is... Sometimes students will ask you questions that are very technical. And a lot of the time, it well, it well, it mostly depends on the level. If they're a lower level and they ask you a very technical question, for example, why, you know, they'll say, why do we use third form when we do passive tenses? You know, and you have to think about it. Like, does the answer to this question change the way that they're going to be studying uh, the lesson, you know, like, does this change the way that they're going to interpret what you say? And for an example like that one, not it, it isn't going to, you know, them knowing why we use third uh, form instead of second forms for passive isn't really going to make them understand passive 
any better. You know, that's something more, it's like, okay, I need to understand what it means, and this is what I use, right? Because if they spend too much time thinking about, like, why we use everything that we do in each one, they're going to they're gonna use a lot of their brain's computing power thinking about things that aren't necessary to speaking English well. You know, they're wanting to go into a more of a linguistic standpoint, which isn't your job as an ESL teacher. It's not your job to be a linguist. It's your job to teach English. So if you know the answer and they're a high enough level, then you can talk about that with them. You can discuss the linguistic aspects of these things with them. However, it's not really your job to do that. So you don't have to, you know, you can say, I am not, you know, trained enough in that field. I'm not an expert in the linguistical aspect of this field, linguistic aspect of this field. So therefore, I can't sufficiently answer your question. That'll be something that you may want to Google. And if you find a good answer and you want to bring it back to class and share it, then be our guest. You know, we, we would all love to learn something. So kind of use it as a moment for them to research it themselves and maybe kind of prompt their own investigation into different aspects of English that perhaps wouldn't really get covered into class because there are going to be some students, higher achieving students, who do want to know these higher level answers. And you can't always provide those answers. So don't feel like you need to. Now, obviously you want to be able to answer these questions, but you can't really stray away from the lesson too much because if I go off of passive and I talk about why we use a third form instead of a second form while discussing passive, the rest of the students may lose track or get bored of what you're doing. So you're providing a, an answer for one student who wants to know while neglecting however many other students you have. And you can't do that because while, you know, they are paying for their classes, you know, the one student who wants to ask the questions, the other students are also paying for those classes, you know, or for example, that these are mandatory classes at a school, you know, everybody has to be there or everybody is there. It's a class for everybody. You know, it's not just a class for one person. And that will be something I cover a bit later in terms of students who want to talk too much because that can be a problem you know it's it's your job as a teacher to spread the language spread the experience over all the students rather than focusing on one student um so the big thing though that you can do to kind of mitigate the uh reactions from these questions or kind of mitigate the i don't know perhaps lack of defense you have for these questions is by pre-thinking these questions you know like when you are making your lesson plan or when you are preparing yourself for these lessons think of some difficult questions that the students might ask now i think this is more to do for uh lower level teachers not lower level teachers but like newer teachers right or perhaps lower level lessons is perhaps what i meant to say um, so I, it'll be more for inexperienced teachers, you know, teachers who are going to be in their first, second, possibly even third, maybe fourth years, you know, I think by your fifth year, you'll, you'll have experienced at least 80% of the encounters that you will be experiencing, sort of, it depends on where you go, it depends on where you move, but anyways, so pre-think these questions, you know, when you're writing your lesson, think about some interesting questions that they may ask, because they probably will ask it, because... And the thing is, like, your students will always come up with questions that you've never thought of. They will ask questions about things that you thought 
why would anybody ask about that? It just seems so, you know, painfully obvious as to the answer to this question, but they still want to know because for them, it's not obvious. It's not their language. So, you know, try to pre-think these questions if you can, you know, don't worry if they come up with a question that you haven't thought of. In that case, kind of go back to your earlier response of, I don't know. You know, go to them and say, I don't know this answer, and we can find it out, you know. We can go on Google, we can look it up in the book, or, you know, for I've had with some of my lower level students where I, I've straight up told them, I said, like, that's a great question, you're welcome to Google it. I feel like if I did explain this to you now, it wouldn't benefit us right now. So therefore, I think this is a question for a later time rather than right now. And sometimes you have to do that. You know, it, it does kind of, you don't want to kill their curiosity, right? Because curiosity is always going to be a great thing for a student. However, sometimes you do have to say, we can't do that right now because that's just not in the cards at the moment. So difficult questions are always going to be, well, difficult, as I said earlier, but I think with enough pre-thought and kind of preparation you should be able to cover a lot of them i'm not going to say most of them but definitely a lot of them okay so moving on from difficult questions now we're going to get to the uh the big part that i think a lot of people have problems with which is difficult students now this may seem like ooh, is this a hot button issue is this going to be a hard topic to cover kind of because you don't want to make anybody feel bad for being there but you do want people to realize that their actions are not acceptable for what you're doing because as the teacher your goal is to get to the end of the class with the material taught well your goal is to make sure that everybody in the class has received this material and that they understand it you know, and disruptive students are, I don't want to say an enemy to this goal, that sounds very harsh, but they are not conducive to getting to where you want to be. And that can be difficult for yourself because, and other students, because, you know, as much as you may get flustered by students who are uh, being disruptive or students who are being bad or talking too much, um, the other students are experiencing it as well and it would definitely behoove you to make sure that you stop those things because it can you know put a negative effect on it can have a negative effect on the other students who want to be there you know and it can kind of take it away from them they were enjoying themselves but not anymore because there's this student that's causing problems so what to do with disruptive students the best thing of course to start with is just talking with them that's always going to be your best first response talking with them uh, because a lot of the time students just don't realize that what they're doing is well for lack of a better word just not acceptable like these a, a lot of people they're just having fun they just want to talk to their friends they just want to you know enjoy the time that they're spending because for example, if you're teaching children or teenagers, a lot of them may or may not want to be there, especially may not want to be there at that exact moment. Because, you know, if you're teaching, let's say, after school English lessons, then you're kind of cutting into their afternoon where they want to hang out with their friends or they want to, you know, go relax at home, play, maybe play video games, watch movies or something, you know, and they don't necessarily want to be there. So you kind of have to remember that as well. Now... As I said before, definitely talk to them, you know, say, hey, I would appreciate it 
if you didn't do that. Now, sometimes that doesn't work and you have to get quite serious with them. And sometimes that does involve contacting parents as well. You know, you can go to whatever resources you have. Uh, oftentimes you'll have like, let's say an administrator or some sort of person that is able to contact the parents. And you can say, hey, could you please contact this child's parents or this, you know, the student's parents because they are being disruptive and it's not good for the lesson because I'm unable to teach properly and the other students are not enjoying it. And it's always good to make sure you stop these problems in the beginning. It can feel harsh. You know, it can feel like, oh, well, this is just the second time they've done this. Well, you know, a lot of things I find don't stop themselves. Sometimes it is just a bad day and they have a bad day. Even then the first time and on a bad day, you still have to be like, hey, stop. You know, I remember like I'm just remembering back to when I was a teenager and it that really stopped it. You know, it's like you kind of get called out and your teacher goes, hey, what are you doing? And you're just sitting there like, ooh, what am I doing? And you feel a bit stupid and I, you don't want to make your students feel stupid. But sometimes feeling a bit stupid does stop bad behavior. I think it's like a social thing where we kind of we don't want to look like that person and so therefore like kind of being like hey like acknowledging the bad behavior is always going to be an easy way to start uh well i guess to discontinue the bad behavior before it gets too serious because bad behavior over time just becomes cemented bad behavior it doesn't go away on its own so you do need to stop it as um as quickly as you can. Now, there is another type of disruptive student who is not doing anything bad, and that's the student who just wants to talk a lot. Uh, not with their friends, but with you. And that can also be bad, it's good. You know, you want to encourage conversation, you want to encourage the students to use their English. However, as I said before, like the class is for everyone. It's not just for individual students. And therefore, if someone is dominating the classroom with their conversation, you do need to put an end to it. You, and you can't just say, stop talking. You know, you kind of have to curtail it and kind of bring other students into the conversation. If they won't let other students do that, you do have to say, hey, I appreciate that you're very interested in doing this. However, I need to involve everyone because this is a class for everyone. Uh, I would say nine out of ten times they understand and it's not really that they want to disrupt the classroom it's just simply that they're quite excited to speak and they want to share they have lots of opinions that they want to share and so therefore of course you know you, you don't want to discourage them because well then they might stop coming or they might lose interest in english you don't want that you know you kind of want them just simply to understand the same thing that you want you know you want them to have a common goal with you and that's to have a good environment for learning English. You, know, you want to provide that for everyone. Now, so, I mean, I guess I've covered the bad student and the good student disruptive. Sometimes it's all about like the whole classroom though, because sometimes it's the entire class is just having a day and it really depends on the day. And I find, and as weird as it sounds, it really does depend on the weather too. I find rainy days, classroom is always going to be a bit quiet. Sunny days, the classroom can get a bit rowdy. Uh, snowy days, people are just a bit sleepy as well because for whatever reason, the cold and the snow just makes people sleepy. 
Um, so it really depends on the day. Hot days, yeah, people, like, they're staring out the window. They want to go outside. They want to go to the park and see their friends. Um, so, you know, you kind of have to, <laughs> as weird as it may sound, when you get to work, acknowledge the weather. What's today like? You know, is it a sunny day? And is it school vacations for the kids? And, you know, they have to be at your school during their vacation because your English classes still run through that time then yeah it's probably going to be hard because they want to go home and they want to go see their friends and stuff like that so the biggest thing of course as I said before always start from the beginning you know if it's getting rowdy in the beginning make sure you stop it as quickly as possible and as nicely as possible because otherwise it gets out of hand so I find the best way to mitigate that is by starting with some sort of exercise where uh, students will be able to interact in small groups and you tell them like, I want you guys to talk, but I want you guys to talk quietly because then that kind of establishes the idea that, hey, today we're talking quietly. Like, I, like the first five to ten minutes of the class really determine how the class is going to go. Like if you start out with just a big rowdy thing in the beginning, people are going to feel rowdy. They're going to be like, okay, that's what we're doing today. We're doing energetic stuff. And if you start with something that's a bit more mellow, then it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the day. You know, today's going to be kind of mellow. So, and that's, you know, for energetic, it, really, it depends on your students' ages, of course. You know, if you're teaching adults, you don't really have that problem. Adults are pretty mellow in general. And therefore, you know, if you have a classroom of rowdy adults, to be honest, there's not really much you can do uh, because they might just leave and... I guess if you have a rowdy class of adults and they just leave, it's not really your problem, is it? <laughs> they could just leave. Um, you know, I've never had that, though. I've never had students or adults be rowdy. It's always teenagers, of course. Or, or, or like, let's say, I would say the 11 to 13 group are the rowdiest. 14 to 17, they are they're quite, they're quite serious about it. If they're, if they're meant to be there, then they're quite serious about it. And if they are just kind of coming, then, well, then I can always be hard. It really depends. The weather, their level, their age, uh, what time of year is it? You know, like, for example, if it's in spring, almost summer, of course, you know, you're going to be having like that end of the year, either exhaustion. That's always going to like February, March is always going to have that end of the year exhaustion. April, May kind of getting towards the really close to the end of the year, then the energy kind of comes back a little bit if you make it come back. So high energy classrooms are always going to be the harder ones to do because, well, it's like you as the teacher have to quash that energy. You have to bring it in and, and kind of focus it on the task rather than talking with their friends and doing disruptive things. And the size of the class is always going to be a big thing as well. Um, you know, like... So I do recommend as soon as they come into the classroom, kind of set the tone of the class because that will always be the best thing. If they get out of hand, then that's when, of course, you, know, you go back to talking to them. Or, for example, you have some sort of system. I sometimes will have like a bell. If you ring the bell, then people look towards you and it, you get that, like, let's say a second of silence in which you have an opportunity to recontrol the classroom. You know, you have that opportunity of silence to go, okay, guys, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to move on to this. 
and people realize, okay, talking's done, we're going on. Some sort of noise that cuts through all that sound, like a bell. Or if you don't have a bell, take your back of your eraser and just hit it on the desk and, you know, people get the point. Um, you don't want to scare anyone, but sometimes it has to be a little scary. <laughs> um, you know, it's not the nicest thing in the world, but sometimes you do have to be a bit not imposing, but you have to make them realize that you are the controller of the classroom, not them. So low energy classrooms, though, that's another story because low energy classrooms are always going to be difficult because you have to create the energy, you know, like <laughs> it's like uh, high energy classrooms are easy because you just cut the energy. You know, you have the energy up here. You bring it to where you want to be. Let's say it's like they have 100 energy. You want it to be at 50. You, you bring it down to 50. If you come to class and they have 10 energy, how do you get it up to 50? Well, you can do the same thing. You can start the class with a bit of an energetic thing, and it really depends on the personality of the students, and sometimes that will bring life into the classroom. Another way of doing it is just simply recognizing the energy of the classroom. This can work with high-level energy classes, and this can work with low-level energy classes. You know, recognize that like a high-energy level classroom, you can do more energetic things, things that are going to, you know, use that energy in a, in a useful way. Same thing with low-energy classes. If they don't really want to do much, then you can focus on maybe small conversations or dialogues or small little prepared things. Sometimes, well, sometimes students enjoy just answering questions or doing a reading or they enjoy writing. Um, sometimes you can incorporate a bit of drawing in there. And a lot of people think that drawing is only useful for lower level students, but sometimes you can use drawing as a little intermittent part between things for higher level students and, and higher aged students. I use it with teenagers occasionally, and it kind of breaks up the monotony of answering, writing, speaking, and all that stuff. You know, a little bit of drawing. Why not? You know, they like to do it. They like to talk about it. And, you know, they'll, they'll tell you about their drawings and stuff like that if you give them the chance. So, you know, make sure you have your tools for it. Um, low energy classes, though, it's always a battle. It never gets easier. I mean, it gets easier, but it never becomes easy. It's always going to be more difficult than a high energy classroom because you feel like uh, you never really feel like anything lands. It can discourage you. You know, you feel like, hey, we're going to try this lesson. And, you know, did they receive it well? Did they like it? Did they enjoy it? And maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. They didn't tell me anything. So, you know, you have to play to the level of it. That's always going to be the biggest thing. And if it's high energy classroom, try to bring the level down. If it's a low energy classroom, try to bring it up but don't try to bring it up too much because low energy people are usually going to be the more shy type and you don't want to bring them too far out of their comfort zone you need to bring them slightly out of it just enough you know high energy people you can bring it down because they're used to large swings of energy low energy people are always kind of sitting at that low level so you, if you bring them up too high they're going to feel very uncomfortable and you don't want that so make sure you acknowledge the level of energy in the classroom at the beginning. You know, make sure you just kind of mentally note that stuff. You know, how is today? What's today looking like? Okay. Mixed ability classrooms, though, that's also a thing. What if you have high level energy students and low level energy students? 
what do you do? Can you mix them? You kind of can, yeah. Um, and sometimes you can just simply, you know, put a high level student or high energy student with a low energy student and the energy will kind of come together. But I find a lot of the times it'll be 70, 30, you know, the high energy student will obviously participate a lot more than the low energy student. I find with this, it's good to try to come up with tasks that involve two or more people where one person can do some sort of low energy thing, for example, writing and the other person can do the speaking or the presentation of that. And it will work because they feel like they can work together. One person can do what they want to do. And the other person can feel like, you know, they are uh, participating. You know, they're helping that they're not being uh, left out of this just because they have low energy. Um, so, uh, and, and they will enjoy the writing or drawing aspects of it, however they want to do it. I do encourage the low energy students to speak as well. You know, I say, hey, I want at least two sentences from each person so the low energy student will give you those two sentences and the other person will give you 35 or something like that some you know they'll just go on and on and on you're like great you know we're all happy here um so of course mixing them up that's always going to be a possibility sometimes you can do low versus high energy things um for example, tasks that kind of swing between the two, like you could do a game where, you know, it involves a bit of speaking and it all involves a bit of writing. It involves a bit of sign language or acting or something like that, where everybody can kind of use their own strengths in a way that will be best for everyone. So definitely always try that. Okay, teacher problems. That's the hard part because that involves your personality. And... As much as people don't really want to think about it, obviously being extroverted is always going to be easier for teachers because, I mean, that's your job. You're going to be speaking with people. You're going to be interacting with people all day and being able to enjoy that and kind of derive your own energy from that will kind of keep itself up. You know, the introverted teachers exist. I used to be quite introverted myself. Um, and I've met lots of introverted teachers and they have to, you know, you, you teach, you throw all your energy into it. It's weird because teaching isn't really like social interaction, but it is. Um, I find a lot of introverted teachers will be able to just throw themselves out there and just have a great, fantastic lesson where they speak and talk a lot. Um, you know, but <laughs> once the class is over, they come back to the teacher's room and just, uh, you know, they're just kind of, they just let it all out. They just be quiet for 15 minutes and then boom, back into the next lesson. So it's possible for everyone, but it does obviously make it easier if you can kind of derive your own energy from the energy of the classroom. So anxiety will be your enemy because the more anxiety you have, the more you're going to be nervous, the more you're going to be nervous, the less you're going to feel confident of what you're doing. And being confident is, well, it's just going to be key because, you know, like, you need to go up there and talk as if you know everything, but you don't want to say that you know everything. You know, you want people to realize that like, hey, this guy doesn't know everything. However, the stuff he does know, he's quite confident about, you know, he's telling me this. I can trust him. I can believe that they will be much more receptive to that because they feel like I don't have to question this material. I know what this person is telling me is true. You know, it's not maybe true. It's not possibly true. It is true. And so that's where that like confidence that like, this is what we're doing. This is why it's good. You know, this is how it'll help you. And students will 
be more responsive to that. I think just humans in general are quite responsive to, to confidence. Um, so how to deal with anxiety before lessons? Well, I mean, I tea. <laughs> I like to have black tea before I have a lesson. And kind of like I, I get there early. I have a nice cup of black tea and I just sit there and I just kind of almost like meditation you know you kind of feel like like i like to get there early because i feel like if i've been in this classroom if i've been in the school for a long time by the time i start my lesson i feel like you know this is where i've been you're joining me we're not coming in at the same time i feel like you are coming to me and you are coming into my domain and therefore now i will teach you like um like master ugwe from <laughs> kung fu panda <laughs> you know it's like don't speak in riddles but you know it's like it's his temple you know and it's like they come to him he's the master and the squirrel guy i, I just watched kung fu panda not long ago and i can't remember his name oh well anyways um bad days though because we all have bad days we're humans how to deal with bad days now if you there's a lot of times you will go to work and you feel like man i am having a bad day I don't want to teach. I don't want to be here. I don't want to see these people. I don't want to do this material. And I just want to go home or I just want to go for a walk and not be here. How do you deal with that? Well, obviously it gets easier over time, but that doesn't help you on your first time. Well, what I will say for your first time is just try to like, I imagine my classroom as an entire separate place from the world. It doesn't exist on earth in my head. When I get into the classroom, classroom is classroom, outside the classroom is outside the classroom. And I try to leave everything at the door. You try to go in and obviously the first time, everything's always going to be harder the first time. Nothing is going to work 100% the first time. So, you know, don't think it will. It's practice, you know, like try imagining once you go through that door, once you close the door, it's class time. Anything outside of class doesn't matter because it really do it doesn't, you know. You can't deal with these problems in the next however long it is you're going to be teaching. So why think about them, you know? Try to imagine yourself going through some sort of magical threshold that just strips all your otherworldly problems away as you walk through the door. And now you're in there. You are teacher. You're not yourself anymore, you know? You're not James or Elizabeth or whatever your name is. When you walk through that door, you're a teacher. And this is your domain and we will be learning English, or whatever subject it is that you teach. Um, and I find that helps because I find that I don't bring my personality into it, I don't take things personally, and I just get in there and I teach, and we get to the end of the lesson and we learn English. And that's usually pretty helpful. Um, other ways of doing it, of course, are just kind of being confident, knowing your material, um, and just kind of practicing getting through the day. Um, there's a lot of days you just go in there, you say, you know what, I'm just going to autopilot it. You know, you have your lesson planned. Like, I like to keep um, an arsenal of tools, as I call it. Like, different games, different techniques, different, you know, tasks that we could do to kind of break up the monotony of whatever's happening. And just kind of having, like, a backdrop, not a backdrop, but like a backup of things that you know work. You know, like this game works, this task works and having just a knowledge of what definitely works and what is easy to do kind of can really help you autopilot through a bad day. And, you know, obviously never 
anything is going to be perfect. Nothing's going to be perfect all the time. You kind of just have to hope that it goes as best as possible. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have a bad day and you go in there and you try to autopilot through it and it just sucks. It's awful. Now, what can you do about that? Not a whole lot. Just have a cup of water, have a cup of tea or cup of coffee, you know, maybe bring up a, a snack with you, a piece of fruit and just try your best, get to the end of the day, go home, try again tomorrow. You know, not every day is going to be good. Some days you're going to have what you feel like is the worst day that you've ever had as a teacher. Some days you're going to feel like, wow, everything went off. I am a master. Try to remember both of those days when you do it. Try to remember the day that you felt amazing while doing this. Try to remember the day that you felt bad while doing it. You can learn from those. So there's a lot of stuff to deal with as a teacher. Like it's never easy. And obviously as an ESL teacher, you can have different communication barriers as well. Um, you have to just get through as best as possible. Like if I had to recap the entire episode, it's mostly just you know, be ready, be prepared, don't be afraid, and be the teacher, be the master of the domain, be Master Ugwe in your temple of Kung Fu, because it is your temple of Kung Fu, and, you know, it's yours to, it's yours to master. Anyways, let's get back to the trivia then. So, uh, the trivia question today was, well, geography, as I said earlier, and the question again was, you know, what is the capital of Chile? I'll give you a second to think about it. Have you thought about it? Have you got the answer? Think real hard. So the capital of Chile is Santiago. Hopefully you got it right. Anyways, if you are a teacher and you are having bad days and I hope this has helped you, I hope you're able to take what I've said today and kind of implement it into your classroom, and I hope it gets better. Um, obviously, with the coronavirus and online teaching, it's going to be different. It's never going to be as easy as you want it to be. Um, the easy days are going to be even harder than perhaps you may want, and the harder days are going to be harder than hard. And you just have to be ready for everything. You know, you have to be ready for that that onslaught of problems that are always going to be coming towards you. But you're the teacher. You're there for a reason. You know, you've studied for this. You've practiced for this. You're ready to do it. You know, you're ready. You're, you're there for a reason. Anyways, I hope this has helped you. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. If you've liked it, share it with your friends. If you've got a teacher friend, share it with them. Maybe it'll help them. Anyways, thank you very much and goodbye.